0: Okay, everybody, I'm back for a news program, but I'm still in Italy. I got one more week in Italy, the longest, longest vacation I've ever taken in my life, and I'm absolutely enjoying it. But I still need to do my podcast because I miss y'all, and I got a lot I want to talk about. I want to dunk on Casey Newton, who dunked on Superhuman, which I'm an investor in. I want to talk about Apple opening up a backdoor to scan phones for child pornography. I finally, finally found a really interesting application for cryptocurrency. It's the fourth or fifth best use case I can find and uh, this is a cryptocurrency company you're not going to believe this that I would actually invest in and I might even buy the tokens I I believe in it so much finally I'm going to talk about WhatsApp in Afghanistan I'm not going to talk about the wider Afghanistan issue I'm going to specifically focus on Zuckerberg the CIA WhatsApp and the Taliban stick with us
1: this week in startups is brought to you by LinkedIn jobs a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash twist squarespace turn your idea into a new website go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial when you're ready to launch use offer code twist to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain and our crowd helps you invest early in pre IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com/slash twist. And our next Founder University is August 23rd and 24th. A free online two-day class for pre-Series A startups. The August class is for underrepresented founders. Application and agenda are at founder.university.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm still in Italy. This is the longest vacation I've ever taken in my life. I kid you not. Just two years ago, right before the pandemic, I took my longest vacation, which I think was at that point 13 days. And I've worked really hard my whole life, but I decided at the age of 50, I'd start taking slightly longer vacations, taking the kids and and doing some fun adventures, long overdue after 30 years of grinding it out in the industry. Uh, So three weeks in Italy, I'll be back in the United States next week. But I wanted to, I took two weeks, uh, basically off the show, I did two interviews during that time, one with splice and one with redfin, did not want to lose those interviews. They were great gets by our producers all three of them. Now we have three producers here because we're five days a week, most weeks. And uh, I really enjoyed doing those two interviews. Well worth it. But this week, I'm going to be back to doing news uh, for most of the days this week. And taking two weeks off, there were a lot of stories that I missed that I wanted to comment on. So the first one up is uh, Superhuman. And so Casey Newton, who is a journalist, uh, who I'd say is amongst the best journalists out there, in fact, most respected, has a very successful sub stack, Previously, I think he reported for Recode or Vox. I can't remember. It's not important. He now has his own uh, newsletter. I think he's one of the people Substack paid hundreds of thousands of dollars due to quit. So that uh, newsletter is called platformer. Uh, And it's it's pretty good. Um, You know, as far as journalism goes, and two weeks ago on August fourth, superhuman announced a $75 million series C at an $825 million valuation. For those of you who don't know, I was one of the first investors, not only in superhuman, uh, we put $500,000, I believe, into the, to the seed round before Raul, the founder, ever and friend of the show, you've seen him on many episodes here, including episode 1214, episode 993, and episode 867, among many. So I'm obviously a big fan, and I'm a superpower user of superhuman. So platformers Casey Newton quote tweeted the announcement and tried to dunk on superhuman and Raul Um, I'll just read Casey's words. So they stand on their own. And Casey seems to be like a really nice guy, actually, very affable. I've met him in person. He's quite nice. So I don't think he intended this to be, you know, super critical, yet it was. And he said, ah, the founder of a seven-year-old Gmail skin who took a year off of product development to start a venture fund has raised $75 million from the chain smokers to build an early version, in quotes, of an Outlook compatible service that will be available, and in quotes, next year. Uh, and so this is riddled with errors. And so, of course, that was quite embarrassing for a journalist to have this many errors in one tweet. It also is dunking. It's just straight up dunking. So you got to be very, very careful when you dunk, because if you're wrong, and you get blocked, or you hit the rim, and you fall on your face, it's quite embarrassing. And that's what happened to Casey here. Again, I like Casey. I, I think he's, you know, as far as journalists go, uh, I would say very good. Um, obviously, he wouldn't get a Substack deal for hundreds of thousands of dollars, he probably was making 100, 150,000 working for Vox or Recode. And then he probably had a salary doubled or triple by going to Substack. That is the case of the virtuoso elite journalist, you know, the people who are the top 25 journalists in tech, are we going to make, you know, 100 to 200,000. And if they went to Substack, they're going to double, which is quite ironic. We'll get into that in a minute. And then he followed it up with superhuman is the most juicero like product to come out of this town since juicero itself, which is super inaccurate and horrible. What Casey doesn't know, and I think this is a very important thing for founders to understand is journalists have about 5% of the information. A great journalist like Casey or Kara Swisher, they might get 20% of the information of what's going on in a company. If you had 20% of the information, uh, about what was going on at a company or in a newsroom, would you have the clear picture of what was going on? Probably not, right? And so this shows how ill-informed a journalist can be at their worst. Now, sometimes they get the whole story, they nail it, and they get a Pulitzer, that's certainly not this. Uh, and, and that would be the case with John Kerry, right? Who did the incredible Theranos story. So let's pause for a second there and realize journalists are at an information disadvantage. And in today's day and age, They want to dunk. Why do they want to dunk? Well, Casey wants to dunk on Twitter because he needs paid subscribers now. He is, in fact, an entrepreneur. And the more he dunks and the more salacious the take or the more, you know, hot the take, the more he will be rewarded with paid subscribers. So the idea that journalists are suffering with $50,000 salaries and doing it because they want to, you know, be advocates for the truth, that is not this. Just be clear about that. If you're talking about a company like Vice or Vox or Substack Authors, they are venture-backed businesses or they are entrepreneurial journalists. They will only make money if they get subscribers. And so link-baiting headlines at Vox or BuzzFeed you know, generate the traffic they get, which turns into page views at its worst. You, know, you get things like Gawker's worst moments. And, you know, in terms of getting paid subscribers, you might have something like stratechery where, you know, that journalist or really an analyst, he Ben Thompson is like a different beast. He is like, you know, 10 times more knowledgeable than a, a Casey Newton, who is 10 times more knowledgeable than a BuzzFeed, you know, rank and file entry level reporter. And that's because of networks, raw intelligence, business experience, any number of factors or even the approach. So Ben Thompson's approach is, listen, I want to impress the hell out of Bill Gurley or Bill Simmons, you know, or Kara Swisher or some other business leader, really, the business leaders is who he's writing to. Here, Casey Newton is really angling for like the woke mob and maybe dunking on people. It's a different thing. So he's doing something link baiting. Now, I wa- I'm on a Twitter break. I said, I'm taking off Twitter because I got to write this book. Um, I don't have to write the book. I want to write this book. It's just burning inside of me. I got thousands of words done in my first 24 hours on my little, uh, you know, sabbatical here um, of my vacation, I'm making great progress. But a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs then basically picked up the mantle for Raul. And, and just to give you even more context, I am not only <laughs> one of the first investors, and I've told the story here many times about how Raul came over for bagels when he had the idea and I, I put in 500k immediately just hearing about what a great idea was to take on Gmail. I was the first or second investor in his first company Reportive. And I'm an LP in the fund that Casey is uh, dunking on. And so where Casey gets this wrong, I'll give you my opinion here. Number one, he doesn't understand, Casey, how many paid subscribers there are for Superhuman. He doesn't understand how that's growing. He doesn't understand the velocity of product updates in Superhuman. I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's Tesla like, really. Like, literally, I would say Raul on a product basis is up there with Alex from Calm, uh, Vlad from Robinhood, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. Like, if you look at those four folks, they, these are contemporaries in building product. Let me say that again Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Raul, and Alex from Calm. These are some of the elite product creators in this generation, obviously, Steve was a little bit earlier than this generation. So, you know, but they're they're compare, they're absolutely comparable in the velocity of updates, and how well they're crafted and the engagement and the growth of those companies. How do I know this? I think you know how I know this. I knew Steve Jobs, not well, I know Elon very well, I am an investor in Raul and super and calm, uh, you know, superhuman and calm, Alex and Raul's companies, I have the inside information someone like Casey does not when you're reading journalism, you should assume you're walking into a house of mirrors. You know, one mirror makes you fat one makes you short, you know, one makes you wobbly. That's a journalist's view. They're just trying to do archaeology. They're trying to They're really like archaeologists would be a good w- way to look at it or a paleontologist like they're looking at these bones and trying to make a story out of it. They don't know if they got a T rex or a pterodactyl sometimes. And that's the case here. Again, Casey Newton, I'll say it again. I like him. I like his writing. I'm a subscriber to Platformer. I thought about unsubscribing from it, but I was like, eh, it's 10 bucks a month. I, I, I like to know what the journalists are thinking because even if they're uninformed, I have to deal with it as an investor anyway. And I think Casey probably gets a lot of things right um, as well. So the job is hard being a journalist, but this is un-Casey-like. I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen Casey dunking on people. It's a really bad look for him. I actually diminished my view of him because I always thought he was more considered than this but you know who knows uh, he could have had a glass of wine he could have had a rough day or he could be trying a different approach i don't know before we get into the ad let me just tell you straight up linkedin.com twist your first job posting free i'm not kidding linkedin.com twist your first job listing free Nothing to lose. Okay, now on to the end. Too many small business owners are busier than ever. They spend time searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening, and it would be much better for them to spend their time growing their business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and that's why they're giving you the first job listing for free at linkedin.com twist. They know it's going to work. Here's how it works. You create a free post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs, and you reach the world's largest professional network with over 750 million people. I remember reading this ad when it was like 150 million. My God, they're growing. It's like one of the biggest growth stories inside of Microsoft, in fact. So they focus on candidates with the skills and experience that you need. And you can use screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified people. We love LinkedIn jobs at launch. And in 2021, we've hired a third producer, a curriculum designer for Founding University, and two more researchers. And we're still hiring for three more positions using, you guessed it, LinkedIn Jobs. So LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that are worth interviewing faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash twist. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you something for free. Okay, let's get back to the program another fact that's wrong here, or that maybe Casey uh, doesn't know. He did not take a year off to start a venture firm. That is, a f- that is false. That's a lie. That's misinformed. He did not take a year off to the venture fund. One of his good friends started the venture fund, and he's using Raul's popularity because he's so good at product to Raul sending his deal flow to his partner. Raul is the front person. His partner's doing all the work. How do I know this? I know this because I'm an LP in that fund. What does Casey know? Nothing. So he makes this huge mistake there. Uh, And then he's dunking with the chain smokers being involved in this investment, ignoring the fact that the other people investing in this are the greatest investors in the world today. So the correct way to say this is, hey, listen, the founder of a SaaS company, that is growing fast and charges a dollar a day for a service that is 10 times better than Gmail and super addictive, and that the top users spend three or four hours a day in. I can't give all the statistics because that is Roul's job, not mine. Was invested in by the top investors in the world. To compare it to Juicy, Juicero would be so stupid because Juicero had, uh, <laughs> it didn't work. It was a product that didn't work. And here's a product that did work. So, terrible take. Uh, a lot of dunking, who knows why I did it. Sahil said, Hey, Casey Newton, you're a bully. I've been dealing with bullies like you my whole life. So if you got a bone to pick with founders and startups, pick on me. Uh, you're an unkind dismissive critic that writes misinformation has been working his ass off. So that, that's actually nice to see founders uh, come to it. I actually don't think Casey Newton's a bully. I don't have other instances of him being a bully. Uh, and I do think that this speaks to the adversarial nature of journalists today. And entrepreneurs. I tell all my entrepreneurs stop talking to journalists. No good will come out of it. When a journalist calls, don't answer. (laughs) When a journalist wants to get on the phone, don't answer. Just say, I'm happy to answer questions by email. Let them send you an email. If they say no, I'm only on the phone, just don't respond. Because nine out of 10 times, no good's gonna come out of it. And what you should spend your time doing is competing with journalists by creating your own content. Create your own blog, create your own podcast, create your own YouTube channel, create your own TikTok. And then grow your audience. Do not let yourself be interpreted by journalists. Why? Because journalists, at their worst, have an agenda, at their worst, have the need to get attention to sell subscriptions or get advertising or clicks. Or typically, journalists are anti tech today. There's no other way to say it. Tech went from being underdogs to causing a lot of damage in the world, a lot of good in the world, and having it oversized footprint in the world. And in today's climate, journalists are just super anti tech. So Soulsavvy's co founder Dion Prolicka, which I am an investor in his company, uh, Soulsavvy, Savvy, which went through the launch accelerator, mentioned how large sums of capital can blind journalists the impact of a product. He says, uh, and here's the quote, This feels a lot like what happened with us. Money blinds people and warps reality. What we know and Superhuman knows is that we have thousands of happy customers who love the product and who will continue to support. I gladly pay $300 a year to SAH Superhuman because it adds a ton of value to my life. And, And Dion's product, Soul Savvy, has a similar price tag and they raised a lot of money at a very high valuation, which I'm very happy about. And this goes to what journalists can miss because they don't have the inside information. I learned this. How do I know this? How's J. Cal so informed on this topic? I started as a journalist. People don't know this because some of you listening are 20 years old. Well, 30 years ago, I started as a journalist. 25 years ago, when I was 25 years old, I started my second magazine. Second, not first, second, called Silicon Valley Reporter. And I had 75 people working for me, 30 of which were journalists. And I (laughs) know that we had... Partial information, and we're trying to constantly unpack this information. But what we didn't do was we didn't have social media to go dunk on people. We stuck to the facts. We kept it simple. Carbon Health director of product, Alex Cohen, also shared a good perspective on superhuman surviving when others did not. And he says, Man, this tweet is not sitting well with me today. Imagine spending 70 years of your life building a gradient a client that has survived a graveyard of dead companies who have tried and failed only to get called lazy by a reporter with 130,000 followers. And I think. This is a this is a you know again I think Casey's a good journalist I subscribe to what he does, but I think this is actually something for Casey to maybe refine here and maybe uh, take a different approach, which is do think about how much effort founders put into this stuff, right? And you know that maybe before you use your considerable following to dunk on them and to deride them, and which could actually damage their business. And, and I don't think so. I don't think it's going to damage the business too much here because. The people who use it love it. And Superhuman has 300,000 people in their waitlist. So I don't think you're damaging their business. If anything, it's going to damage Casey's reputation for further founders who will not meet with Casey, will not give information to Casey. And, and that's, that's the gentle balance for journalists. Y- you really want to, and, I, and this is really inside baseball, you have to be careful when you pick your targets. Here, this felt like you know, like it was an incorrect take and you're hitting somebody with a bat in the back of the head who doesn't deserve it. So be careful. I have done this as a journalist myself. I've taken on, you know, causes or people or had opinions that were off. and now people won't talk to you. There are people who don't come on this week and start us because I said something about Facebook 10 years ago, and I have to live with that. And I think that's what Casey's going to live with here is, you know, Raul is an investor in many companies, and, and maybe Casey doesn't care, but access is important for doing great journalism. Finally, uh, Delian, uh, who is uh, a wild man on on the Twitter, and uh, he's one of those founder fund, Peter Thiel acolytes, um, or, you know, part of PHL squad, and, and he has no problem dunking on people. I, I like this kid. Uh, critiquing Raul has to be the silliest thing I've seen on here, referring to Twitter. Superhuman makes percent makes me 20% faster than any other email client I've ever used. I've even built some custom mods on Gmail. I get it's not for everyone. But as someone who lives in email, $20 a month is a no brainer. And this is, I think, another thing Casey missed, which makes him look kind of uninformed. There have been many failed email clients, Sparrow, et cetera, who competed with Gmail. And nobody ever got it right until somebody said, you know what, I'm going to go after the top 1% to 10% of users, charge them a lot of money, and be relentless in studying them and making the product better every single day. So that um, is the big myth here as well. Not only are there all the incorrect facts and the misinformed opinion, but it does actually make people a lot faster. If you're in Gmail versus superhuman, the superhuman person is going to get things done much faster. Period. End of story. Raul did not respond directly, but instead responded to people in Casey's replies by either thanking them for complimenting superhuman or asking how he can make the product better to those who were critical, which is an absolutely savvy, brilliant move. Raul is, and I've watched Raul grow as an entrepreneur over a decade. He is one of the most considered, humble, hardworking diligent founders I've ever bet on. And I've bet on some of the best as you know, and I will keep betting on Raul as long as he is willing for me to invest in his companies. So you know, Casey, something to think about. Uh, You could you could have done better. And you know, just think play the long game. Casey is my basic point here. Don't play the short game trying to get subs and and have bad takes and dunking on people. Actually, maybe pick up the phone uh, and talk to superhuman or talk to some superhuman users instead of dunking on them. That would be that'd be real journalism. If you actually talk to 10 users who were crazy about it and said, Why are you crazy about it? Then you could have an informed tweet. This is why Twitter is bad for journalists. Twitter is bad for journalists because it makes them look stupid and it makes them look petty and it makes them look biased. And sometimes they are petty and biased and stupid. But Casey is not, I don't believe, stupid. Uh, and I don't think he's cynical or bitter. He just came across that way. So a lot of lessons there. Um, and, and finally, if you're in the arena building things, ignore the haters, ignore the critics, focus on your product, which is what uh Raul's doing. And Casey, now he's a founder. So people should start criticizing his product, which is a newsletter, which is, uh, you know, something he's opening himself up for here. So uh, maybe at some point, somebody will create, a, like, a, this would be super meta, somebody could create a sub stack about journalists. And How they're doing in their careers. Does that exist in the world? I wonder. It sounds like something Peter Thiel would fund. Okay, uh, let's get let's get to another story. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all in one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business, blog or publish content promote your business, announce upcoming events or special projects, and sell products and services of all kinds and more. They also have powerful e-commerce functionality, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. So no matter what you're using, an iPad, a Surface, an iPhone, an Android phone, it doesn't matter. All these beautiful templates just work. And of course, it's got built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. Uh, we, we did remote demo day in 2020. We were suffering through the pandemic. We were confused. How are these startups going to get funded? And I said, you know what, throw up a Squarespace site. It's a project. Maybe it turns into a business. And boy, did it ever. We have now funded over uh, a dozen companies over $14 million in funding. And this all from setting up a simple Squarespace website and tweeting it. So go to squarespace.com twist for a free trial squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial when you're ready to launch use the offer code twist and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and congratulations for the team uh, going public by direct listing on May 19th what an amazing journey it's been congratulations again okay let's get back to this amazing episode also when I was away Apple made an announcement on August 6th that they would be rolling out quote a system for checking photos for child abuse imagery on a country by country basis depending on local laws. According to Reuters, Uh, this means Apple is joining Facebook, Microsoft and Google, uh, who have taken similar uh, virtuous measures. Nobody wants to see people trafficking in child pornography. And if we can stop it, and we can catch these people and put them in jail. That's a fantastic thing for us to do in society. However, Apple's announcement is a little different than the other big tech companies which are scanning, basically the cloud. This time, Apple seems to be Uh, Screening the photos before they're uploaded to the cloud. Now, this is because you need to know the architecture of this. Apple has said, we're going to keep all your stuff on your phone, not in our cloud. We're going to be the anti Facebook and the anti Google. We will keep your stuff on your phone, we'll keep it encrypted, and you'll be on your own. However, what that does is it triggers a bigger dilemma, which is if you're a terrorist, uh, if you're a criminal, if you're trafficking in this kind of horrible content, it's locked up on your phone. So here comes the backdoor. Now, if the backdoor to the iPhone seems familiar, it's because the San Bernardino shooting done by terrorists was controversial because Apple would not allow a backdoor to be given to the phone. So if you protect people's privacy with encryption, and you don't give backdoors uh, to that to the government, which the government has always had, then you protect individuals privacy in aggregate but you allow criminals to benefit from that. This is a big dilemma. There is no easy solution here. But I think we can all agree that if there's a terrorist attack, Apple should unlock the damn phone. And I, I, you know, the end, period, end of story. So now we get to the next thing. Okay, child pornography seems like an easy one. Give the information to the government, put these people in jail. Should not be controversial, except that now we have a technological edge case here. The entire concept of the iPhone is that it's its own black box. It's its own, you know, black phone, uh, which is what I think the CIA and other intelligence agencies call these phones, They're phones that can't be unlocked can't be unencrypted, you get the idea. And so according to the AP, uh, here's how the technology works. It's using something called neural match, which is designed to detect images of uh, sexual abuse of children and it scans for these images before they are uploaded to iCloud while still on the device. If the technology locates a match the photo in question, will be reviewed by a human. If child porn is confirmed, the user account will be disabled and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children will be notified. I also think there's some database of child pornography that is also scanned for on the web. Um, I don't know what that's called. But I remember reading about that in a wired story as I believe, here's the Reuters quote, Uh, Apple says will only scan in the United States and other countries to be added one by one because obviously, laws will be different in different places. Uh, But according to the Reuters story in an internal Slack channel, 800 messages long, many Apple employees spoke out uh, against the plan, as told to Reuters by an anonymous employee who saw the thread. Now, again, back to the Slack channels and the discussions. 800 messages, not a lot of messages in a Slack channel. And we don't know how many employees are in here. Reuters doesn't have that information. So there's no context. We don't know if this was 10 people in there doing 800 messages, 800 people doing one message. We don't know if it was one person who was upset and is, you know, like a super privacy nut or if there are 800 privacy nuts at Apple who are going after this. And we don't know the denominator, we we don't know how many employees uh, there are who have access to this room or whatever tech feature analyst Jane M. Wong, uh, who is the woman that always scoops Twitter's new features. If you remember, uh, she tweeted the following, I am concerned Apple cannot and will not say no to potential requests from China given the market and factories. And that is something I've been talking about on this program for a long time, which is in other countries is another key angle of the story, which is in countries that tell you give us the entire I- iCloud of everybody, which is China, well, and they're probably doing this, and they're definitely doing the same with TikTok in my mind, is no question. So every piece of information on TikTok is now on China servers. If TikTok has access to your entire photo library and you have things in your photo library you don't want shared, I'm betting the Chinese government has it now. If you're the son of a senator, or a congressman or the president, and you have things on your phone, uh, the Chinese government has it, they now blackmail the senator, hey, we have the nudes of your child, or whatever it happens to be. (laughs) And uh, Hunter Biden, anybody, Uh, (laughs) you know, this is actually happening. This is not a, a, you know, some kind of hypothetical situation here where somebody could be blackmailed, or it could cause political interference. So there are genuine concerns here. And if there's anything, uh, you know, that can be learned from this, uh, it's that these issues are not going to be easy to solve, especially not for Apple, who now wants to have the high ground on privacy, but they're now proven that they can stay on your phone and uh, deliver stuff. For me, any way to catch these people, I'm for period, end of story. I-, I know that that might be controversial coming from a tech person but I also think they should unlock the San Bernardino phone. Sorry, if you disagree with that. I understand why you disagree with it. I'm sure I'll debate it with my besties on the all in podcast. But when it comes to certain crimes, like this and terrorism, I have zero sympathy, and I'm willing to give up some of my privacy in order to have that happen. I know that's a risk. That's a controversial thing for a tech person to say. Um, But I trust Apple, Uh, maybe I'm stupid, but I I do have some trust for that brand and for that company. Uh, The EFF, the electronic Frontier Foundation and the Center for Democracy and Technology (CDT) each released their own objections to this, which is uh, something you would expect. The article also mentioned that Apple has more plans to help authorities with their technology, quote, including dropping a plan to encrypt widely used iCloud backups and agreeing to store Chinese user data in that country. I talked about that in a previous episode. In fact, the way they're doing it in China, my understanding is from various reporting, is that they are using a partner for their cloud. So Apple does not provide cloud services; they outsource that. Uh, Eva uh, Galpernin from the EFF. uh, She's a director of cybersecurity. Hopefully I got your name Eva correct. In their new FAQ. I'm quoting Eva here. Apple says they will refuse government requests to use their CSAM scanning technology to scan for other forms of content. How exactly will they refuse will they fight in court will they pull out of the country entirely? This is not a time to get vague. So if somebody said I want to kill the president of the United States, in an F- SMS message on iMessage, and they sent it to a friend. Now the government is saying, hey, you got any death threats against the, pre- against the president? Okay, yeah, let's scan everybody's phone. And now we're in a police state. So this needs to be very considered. We need to um, really have the government and private industry and citizens involved in this process, which is what's happening right now. When technology changes things, we have this dance and this debate, we need to be able to have this debate with no politics. And we have to say, we agree that terrorism, we agree that child pornography are unique in how damaging and horrific they are to society, we agree as a society will allow for this, but we're not going to scan everybody's eye messages for words as an example. Even if it means somebody says something as threatening as I want to kill the president. If somebody says that on their phone, we don't know if they're joking, uh, you know, we don't know if they're frustrated. We don't know if they're drunk. They don't need to get a knock on the door. They don't need to have their phone scanned for that. But she makes a great point, which is once the cat's out of the bag and this technology exists, it's going to happen. My suggestion is understand that your phone's probably already hacked. Don't keep anything on there that you wouldn't want people to see. Matthew Green, a cryptography professor at Johns Hopkins, tweeted what he's hearing from Apple regarding the backlash they're receiving. Uh, and he's, uh, he's verified on the Twitter, uh, that helps a little bit. People are telling me that Apple are shocked, I'm guessing people at Apple is what he means, that they're getting so much pushback from this proposal. They thought they could dump it last Friday and everyone would have accepted it by the end of the weekend. I agree. I, I, I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, this is a no brainer. But I get it. People are also concerned with what's on their phone and their security and privacy. So I understand both sides of the argument. Again, this is one of those issues that's not easy and it's going to be a case by case basis. And we're going to have to have this debate for many years to come. I think that reflects Apple. Again, this is Matthew Green. And I'm quoting him. I think that reflects Apple accepting the prevailing wisdom that everyone is just fine having tech companies scan their files as long as it's helping police. But that's not the country we actually live in anymore. So, you know, one thing you have to realize here also is the people who are trafficking in child porn are likely not using an iPhone, they're probably using some very, you know, secure version of the tor network which is kind of another problem is you know which the cia and the fbi are reportedly you know have already hacked into that tor is like a network that anonymizes internet traffic they're probably using other services that are more encrypted and not centralized like you know android phones etc so i wonder if this is even going to work as difficult as this is to handle in a de- democratic country Imagine what it's like to handle these kind of things in an authoritarian country. It is not easy. Uh, we're going to have to uh, follow the story for, for a long time to come. But uh, I do think directionally, Apple is correct in what they're doing. And I do think anybody who's nervous about their privacy is also correct. It is possible for both of these things that seem to be in conflict are actually correct your right to be worried about your privacy. And you have every right to be worried about your privacy and concern that Apple has such sophisticated technology to do this. And you could also agree that Apple should do this. And that controls need to be in place. And we have to really think this through, because it's going to get worse and worse uh, as time goes on. And these are not easy issues. Okay, let's do another story. Okay, it's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in boat setter according to the deal memo boat setter is the largest and only insurance backed boat rental marketplace that connects owners renters and licensed captains very interesting sounds to me like airbnb for boats hmm. boat setter grew revenue over 100 year over year according to the deal memo and more growth could be coming with 12 million private boat owners in the u.s according to again that deal memo you want to read deal memos i write them for a living i read them for a living and they cost you nothing to read these deal memos and get smarter speaking of growth Do you wish you were early in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Well, our crowd investors were and now you can join them. With our crowd accredited investors can invest directly, easily and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat and Lemonade or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle and my favorite company, Uber. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com/slash twist. Again, ourcrowd.com/slash twist. There is no payment involved unless you invest. So go to rcrowdcom slash twist and sign up for free and start reading those deal memos, which will make you smart. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, next up a blockchain 5g network setup called helium just raised 111 million dollars 111. Interesting. I wonder if they did that on purpose from a venture firm called a 16c haven't heard of them, and others to decentralize 5g. Okay, this seems interesting. I saw a lot of ICO concepts of building decentralized, Uber, 5G, Wi Fi and uh, Airbnb killers, none of them uh, ever built a product. And they all seem to have absconded with your money. If you're a crypto ICO investor, and they all seem like scams. This one is backed by a real venture firm. So let me explain what helium uh, is doing in terms of mining crypto, it's actually kind of interesting. And it might be one of these ideas that actually has a chance of working. So in plain English, you're going to be able to mine cryptocurrencies, run algorithms to to make these coins, uh, like bitcoins or, or Ethereum tokens, by installing hotspot devices and providing access to helium's 5g network. In other words, you buy this device. You give people 5g and you earn cryptocurrency on the network, you have a financial incentive to buy this device, put it on your network and give people access to it. Very interesting. So according to the Yahoo finance story, helium has over 11,000 global city locations in 112 countries and users have already deployed more than get this 112,000 helium hotspots in just over 24 months since launch. That is not insignificant. Their stated goal is to decentralize the five uh, decentralized 5g. So this means I think that you buy tokens to use the 5g like if I'm a business traveler, I buy it just like I used to buy Boingo, or I used to have um, gogo wireless, you know, there were these services you could buy or I think if you're on Comcast Xfinity, you can you see the Xfinity routers, you can kind of log into them, but it's close to their network. It's a private network just for Xfinity users so it doesn't actually grow that much. This one seems fascinating. I could take my Verizon, my Comcast, whatever connection I have. If I'm at a university, I put this hotspot in my university dorm. I mine coins. I give access to the other students and you know whatever, the business across the street, access to my 5G. Kind of interesting, right? So in an April blog post, they announced a partnership with FreedomFi, a company that manufactures open source 5g devices to provide a gateway to helium's network. I didn't even know freedom Fi existed or that there was this open source 5g movement. So this is very interesting. There there have been other open source Wi Fi movements, we saw that 20 years ago when Wi Fi first came out. But this is taking cryptocurrency and mining and a financial incentive and adding it to something people desperately want and need and when they don't have it, they will pay for it. Internet access, right? If you don't have internet access, man, You will pay anything for it. HNT is the name of their cryptocurrency, Helium's cryptocurrency, which can be mined by having your hotspot provide and validate wireless coverage over Helium's network. Very simple. It's a fancy way of saying giving people internet. (laughs) According to their website, mining HNT is done by installing a simple device on your office window. Very simple. You put the put it on your window, slap it up. Okay, now how do you earn HNT? Right, their cryptocurrency. Think of it like earning Bitcoin. Uh, So the way you can earn it via your hotspot is hotspot, something other people can log into just like you make your phone a hotspot, completing proof of coverage. What this means is passing random wireless tests on the network called challenges. So if your network is discovered, I guess you get paid, right? So if you put it up, and other people see it, you're going to get some tokens, great. And witnessing proof of coverage i.e. your device, would need to be in close proximity to another device to witness and verify their proof of coverage test. In other words, they police each other and you get some HNT, or, you know, the Bitcoin uh, in this case. It's not Bitcoin, but just to make it simple for you to understand. Now, the network data transfer um, that you provide is another way for you to get more HNT. So the more data that goes across your hotspot, the more you get. So HNT's price tag has gone 16X since January from $1.29 to $20.68 as of the taping of this recording. Uh, and I think before I print this, I'm going to go buy $1,000 worth of HNT if it's on Robinhood because it seems like one of the few crypto ideas that actually has an application. Other applications for cryptocurrency, obviously NFTs I believe in, obviously, a store of value I believe in and money transfer. Uh, And uh, I obviously believe that it's good for laundering money and gray market transactions and terrorism. So I'm now up to this might be the sixth use case, (laughs) I think, uh, broadly speaking, NFTs and collectibles. I believe in that. Yeah. Storing uh, money, a store of value. I believe in that money transfer. I kind of half believe in It kind of works. It's maybe unnecessary for many people. And then dark web transactions. So I'll put those in one bucket. So that's four. And then this fifth one, I actually believe in this, I think. I don't know if it's going to work, it will require a big footprint, but I kind of believe in the idea at least and I, I like the, the start here. So helium also published a one day breakdown of HNT distributions, which is more transparency than some other cryptocurrencies have given us lately. Oh, 30% of HNTs went to network data transfer, 35% went to hotspot infrastructure, that proof of coverage we talked about there, and 35% went to founders, investors and organizations that will manage blockchain governance. So they basically swept 35% for themselves, the founders get that. Uh, so if this thing becomes worth $10 billion, the founders going to make 3.5 billion and the investors. So that's a little bit more. Um, that's a little bit more transparency than we usually say. And maybe that's the model. Maybe when you make a cryptocurrency going forward, you give a third to your investors and founders, you know, p- in titers, a third uh, to you know people who are in one group of usage you know the the buy side and one group to the the sell side i don't know how it'll exactly work uh, but then you get speculators so this is the perfect example of what's called a utility token there is actually utility to the tokens the tokens do something get you internet access or you make them for giving internet access so this is where it doesn't feel like a security but it actually is because i'm going to buy it to speculate on it and this is why cryptocurrency is so so intriguing to so many people because if you can get the utility And the investment part together, man, that's never really existed in the world. And that's why when you don't have the utility, it feels like a security. And when you do have the utility, it doesn't feel like a security. But if the price goes up, it is a security. So here we go. This is clearly a security HNT (laughs) as the coin should be under security law, even though it's a utility, in my mind, and I think a really easy way because this has come up with the legislation which I didn't cover on the program yet, uh, because it's still in flux. But part of the infrastructure bill was regulating, you know, cryptocurrency. I have a very simple plan for regulating cryptocurrency, and it's coming up on the next segment. We'll get to it in a moment. So HNTs can be burned to acquire data credits, uh, which will help the helium devices powering the data transfer, basically providing access to the network. Makes sense. And data credits are like cell phone minutes or airline miles; they are non-transferable and are going to be used by the original owner. So that's a very interesting one. You can buy, sell, or hold HNT as a currency or burn them to power your helium devices. Kind of interesting, right? You can use them like, you know, airline miles or or you know quarters in a in a video game or, or Chuck E. Cheese tokens. So I I would say this is a somewhere between a good idea and a very good idea, and it could work. So you're not gonna believe it, but I think this is interesting. I would have invested at in this at the earlier stage, and maybe I'll put in a small bet. For their tokens. Okay, as promised, next up, how should the US handle cryptocurrency regulation properly? Last week, the Senate officially passed the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. The bill's passing was delayed one week due to arguments over proposed amendments on crypto tax reporting. The amendments wound up not passing. Uh, This bothered some members of the crypto community, including Coinbase CEO and founder Brian Armstrong, who we've had on the program. Who Brian would love to have you on the program again. So much has gone on crypto, uh, including you going public and crushing your last quarter. Uh, So come on the program soon. Uh, Open invitation there uh, for the folks over at Coinbase. So the main issue in all of this, as I understand it, is the definition of a broker in crypto, which, according to CNBC, was quote written in language so broad one could interpret it to include anyone involved in any kind of crypto transaction, i.e., a server, hosting company, whatever. Uh, the bill considered a broker anyone who is, and in quotes, responsible for regularly providing any service effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another person. So, like a bank, like a venture fund, like a private equity fund, if you're involved in this moving of money, but it didn't include, it did not exclude miners, the software developers, and others in the crypto economy who don't have customers essentially, and one would argue. The miners do have customers and the software developers ultimately do have customers. But you could also make the argument, I I guess some people reasonably, uh, listen, I'm just a software developer on this or I'm just a miner. I'm not involved in the transaction. The bill would also require crypto brokers to report customer information to the IRS, which is what I've told you will happen in crypto. And I've said this since the beginning, the government will let it fly under the radar for only so long when it comes big enough and it's costing people money and people see it as a way to avoid taxes. The IRS, the government will come down on it like a ton of bricks. And that's what happened in China. And now it's going to happen in America. And you know what? I know this is unpopular for a technology person to say, there should be some rules. (laughs) Again, newsflash, um, you don't get to avoid taxes. Newsflash, you don't get to be involved in money laundering or allowing black market or gray market transactions. Pay your taxes, play by the rules. You don't get to just take people's money. Uh, without having to p- play by the rules. In venture, in equity crowdfunding, sites like Seed Invest and Republic have to play by a certain set of rules in terms of documenting what they do and making sure investors don't lose their money in diligence, in reporting, and how much people can invest. And in ICOs and in crypto, it's the Wild West. There is a very simple solution to this, which I've come up with. And um, I can explain it very simple. I- just to put a final, um, note in this, there was a lot of funky uh, back and forth here with, you know, this horse trading that occurs by senators. There's a senator named Richard Shelby Shelby from Alabama. According to CNBC, he blocked this amendment because quote, his unrelated $50 billion defense amendment was blocked, i.e. people were going to spend money in his state, I guess. Uh, So the infrastructure bill was passed but the original language of the industry is now back at square one. So You know, that's one of the things in our system, this horse trading and, and, you know, uh, this pork in our uh, pork barrel spending, I think they refer to it as, you know, this kind of stuff is gnarly. And when you mix it up with a complicated issue like this, it's particularly gnarly, because then people can in the crypto community say, hey, this person is just trying to get grift from the people who donated to their, you know, uh, campaign to be elected, and uh, they're just looking out for themselves. I'm gonna put all that aside. There's a very way to, easy way to do this. We want people to innovate. We want them to take chances. So, I'm just going to pick some random numbers here. You obviously uh, understand this is a back of the envelope proposal. It's not meant to be the final one. It's meant to be the start of a conversation. But if you're under five million dollars in tokens, go have a ton of fun. You need only register the product project you're working on with like some central database with the IRS uh, uh, or Finra or whatever some governing body. So, if you want to take money for tokens. If it's under a million, maybe we say you can. You don't have to file, uh, but when you hit, um, you know, one to five million, you register. Okay, you just have to register. We know the project is listed in this database. So, as we were talking about previously, you know, this uh, Helium network for Wi-Fi. If they were going through this, or you know, Ripple, which people think is a giant scam right now, or something like Tether, which has legal action taken against it by the New York Attorney General's office, which said it was a scam, basically, if they're under a million, you can kind of operate freely, maybe Uh, one to five million. uh, It doesn't mean you commit crime, but you don't have to register when you get to one to 5 million, you register. So we know who you are, your social security number, your name are tied to it, you're responsible in some way. And then when you hit 10 million tokens, you have to do some amount of regulatory work like I do I have to do a bunch of work as an angel investor who has a syndicate at the syndicate.com. So maybe you start registering transactions with the IRS or maybe transactions over $10,000 just like banks have to register them. That's why I guess some people take out $9,000 in cash, because they don't want it to be reported. <laughs> I've never understood that I, I would think that the IRS or whoever was doing that would say, You know, 10,000, they have to do it, but secretly they want to get it at 8,000. Then at 50 million, you have to, you know, do KYC, et cetera. And then at 100 million, you really need to have, you know, a bank charter or you need to have an accounting firm do an actual audit, uh, not an attestation, but like an audit. Uh, Maybe you have to do quarterly financials. Maybe you have to do monthly financials. So, just like we have limits on these private company investing, as an example, when I do a syndicate, I can only have 250 people or 10 million. Those are my two caps. Uh, and then reg A, there's another set of caps. Why do I and Seed Invest and Angelist, Republic, private equity firms, venture firms have to live by all these rules? And then you say it's a token and you can do whatever the heck you want. It's kind of BS. It's time for crypto to grow up. And actually, that'll be good for crypto. But we don't want to strangle crypto. Because as I said, in the last segment, when we're talking about the helium network, there's a lot of innovation going on here. And so you don't want to strangle it and smother it. So I would say a light hand, some basic guidelines as it gets bigger, the rules and the requirements increase very simple. Okay, let's get back to the present day. Uh, There's a terrible situation going on in Afghanistan. I have very mixed feelings on it as a New Yorker. With a brother who's a firefighter, and having been in Manhattan and watched the towers come down firsthand, and uh, having PTSD—literally, I had PTSD from 9/11. Um, it was a very traumatic effect, uh, tr- very traumatic event for me, my family, and my friends, and my fellow New Yorkers. Uh, which I still think about deeply to this day on 9/11. I have a very melancholy, um, you know, day and uh, the day before and the day after. I think about the people who died and uh, how terrible that was. And of course, we went to Afghanistan because uh, the Taliban uh, and al-Qaeda were involved and orchestrated that. So as you know, we've been planning on withdrawing our troops. And uh, this has all gone down, um, you know, the last couple of days while I'm here uh, in Italy on vacation. Um, And according to the New York Times, the Taliban now effectively controls southern Afghanistan, the country's entire western border with Iran, uh, as the US moves closer to completely withdrawing uh, Biden said the following in his address last night, which I caught a piece of, if Ga- if Afghanistan is unable to mount any real resistance to the Taliban now, there is no chance that one more year, five more years or 20 more years of US military boots on the ground would have made any difference. In other words, all the time and money we spent after killing Osama bin Laden and killing the Taliban members who were actively involved in 9/11 and other terrorist attacks. Everything after that trying to build a new society, a new government and a new military, it, we did the best we could, it's futile, we need to get out. But here's the tech angle. Uh, putting this aside, and, and I don't want to talk about my position on this. I'll save that for the all in podcast. Uh, next week, next Thursday, we took two weeks off because besties were on vacation. Uh, in a vice article published yesterday, it was reported that the Taliban is using WhatsApp to quote, to spread its messaging, gain favor among local citizens, the Taliban sends messages to those living in Kabul. Stating they were in charge of the city's security now, and any irresponsible behavior should be reported to them according to the Washington Post. An example of irresponsible behavior for the Taliban could be anything that goes against Sharia law, like reading a book if you're a woman or showing your ankles. and uh, the punishment would obviously be very severe. So this is basically saying, tell us who to rape, torture, kill, murder, imprison, violate and otherwise uh, destroy. So on the fact page for WhatsApp, they state that they use end to end encryption, we all know that this makes it hard to identify who is using the app. And the vice article notes uh, that end to end encryption would be what could be could uh, is a Weasley language, uh, for journalists, could be the reason why WhatsApp hasn't banned accounts used by the Taliban yet. Again, you know, again, back to the first story we talked about journalism, and they only have five percent of the story. However, the Taliban is included in Facebook, the owner of WhatsApps WhatsApp. Uh, they're on Facebook's list of dangerous organizations, which means any content promoting or representing them should be banned, according to Bloomberg. That's pretty obvious. So but this is we're not talking about public stuff here. So again, these are journalists dancing around the issue trying to figure things out or just filling stuff up in a story. We all know that they're going to ban stuff that's public. That's not what we're talking about here, Bloomberg. Uh, Facebook's head of Instagram, Adam Mosari, who we might have on the program at some point, um, stated the following in an interview with Bloomberg, uh, in relation to the Taliban, uh, we were relying on that policy to proactively take down anything we can that might be dangerous or that is related to taliban in general it's just like taking nazi stuff down or any other propaganda from authoritarians you know or or bad people now this situation is evolving rapidly this is a quote and with it, I'm sure the risk will evolve as well. We're going to have to modify what we do and how we do it in response to these changing risks as they happen. That's just a word salad of saying nothing. Um, here is a quote from Pete Singer, a senior fellow at the New American Foundation, from the Vice article. Many think of the Taliban as archaic, but they have leveraged everything from social media to drones. We build it, they use it. This is another generic quote. No offense to Peter. It's just filler in the article. We know they use drones. We know they use social media. It's just filler in the article. This isn't actually the important part. Let me. If I may, uh, give you some possibilities to consider here. Do we know that Facebook isn't intercepting or otherwise cooperating with the U.S. military? Do we know that? Do those stories actually mention that? I don't. I don't mention them doing that. Couldn't we also use WhatsApp and Facebook, even if it is end-to-end encryption, to spy on the Taliban? And if one person was identified, you would probably know the metadata: who's talking to who. So while WhatsApp, and I know this is probably too sophisticated for. Uh, you know, an average journalist or an average citizen to understand, but metadata like location, idea of your phone, um, and who you talk to, once you know one person's WhatsApp, then you know, everybody they talk to, you know, who they talk to, you don't even need to see the messages, it would light up, like a brain and neurons firing, um, or fireworks in the sky, (laughs) who's talking to who, once you know who's talking to who, Now you can track down every Taliban member. So you actually don't need to know what's going on in the messages to actually use it. And might Facebook, if approached by the CEIA, and they said, we would like you to create this bogus version of WhatsApp. And in Afghanistan, when somebody downloads it in Afghanistan, in this region, or on these specific phones that we sold to operatives in that area into the black market, these black phones that we put into the black market with special IDs on them. We want to preload this version of WhatsApp that we've built together in collaboration that not only tells us the supposedly encrypted data, but also lets us turn on the microphones and turn on the cameras in those. Again, you're going to think, am I crazy or a conspiracy theorist? No, this is what the CIA, the FBI, and intelligence has been doing forever. If we want to, Get onto those phones we're going to get onto those damn phones. You can be certain of it, and I just gave you but two ways to do it: It could very well be that Zuck and WhatsApp are actually in cahoots with the FBI and CIA and intelligence to go into Afghanistan and provide a bogus version or an alternate version of WhatsApp that does much more than unencrypt the data uh. And you could be certain that in a terrorist-like situation, even though Apple might make one decision, I actually think Zuckerberg would make the opposite one. Apple would make the principal decision. Zuck would make the pragmatic decision. Zuck is facing getting broken up. If he wants to curry favor with Biden and he says, yeah, I will sign this NDA or this judge's order or whatever agreement they have to make in those you know, back rooms, he's going to do it. That's my position. Zuck, in a heartbeat, would sell out the entire (laughs) Taliban and privacy and every citizen of Afghanistan. Zuck would sell out Americans and has. Zuck would sell out anybody to grow that service or protect his empire. That's who he is. He's shown us that for 20 goddamn years. That's who Zuck is. He does not have a moral compass other than growth and dominance. And money and the reach of his services. And anybody who works there is complicit in that philosophy. Period. End of story. And in this case, it happens to be a good thing. The fact that he will make this decision to flip and give over the Taliban, in my worldview of what's actually happening here, again, somebody can clip this and an aggregator can say I'm crazy and a conspiracy theorist. Just look at history. This is how this has gone down many times. I, I can assure you that before you know, the modern-day cell phone, there were plenty of people, plenty of people making bogus AT&T phones with spyware in them or television sets you know, from or, you know any number of people or light bulbs with listening devices. This is how it works, folks. When the country is at stake, when this has to do with life and death, companies, CEOs, and the government work together to protect our interests. And maybe there's an argument that they should. So what you're reading in the link baiting press is probably not aligned with reality. And I'm guessing uh, the closer reality is the kind of backdoor dealing handshaking that I'm describing. We'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.